Hey there, Greybeardians. Welcome back, and thanks for joining me for another episode of Cybersecurity Greybeard, the podcast that helps students, early professionals, and retrainees learn, grow, and advance in the cybersecurity profession. Make sure to email questions, comments, and episode recommendations to cybergraybeard at gmail.com. In this episode, I'm going to get back to my roots of a monologue where I talk about the detail and complexity inherent with software solutions, including specific jobs that relate to cybersecurity software. I hope you enjoyed the interview that I did last week with W. Curtis Preston. Look forward to another interview in a couple of weeks with an individual from Know Before where we talk about social engineering. Back to today's topic, a lot of us think about software that it's only go skin deep. I hop in, I know how to use Word, I can do the basics, I can make it bold or italic. I go to Excel and I create some equations. In reality, applications go from the basic to intricate to massively complex. A lot of times I've engaged in projects where I think, oh, it's just a software program, it's no big deal, I'll figure out the interface and I'll be all good to go. And then I get surprised by the depth, detail, and breadth of the product. Today I'm going to go ahead and talk about that and give a lot of detailed information about what makes up applications and how organizations are broken up so they can manage these applications. And I'm going to give specific jobs in general that folks would have to do some of this work and maybe something here catches your interest and you'll be able to go search on Dice.com or some other websites for jobs specifically related to what I'm going to talk about. Before I get started, as I've done all season long, I want to mention Josh B. Mysola, my mentee in Africa who's trying to relocate to Canada and study cybersecurity. I strongly believe it's important for everyone to help when and where we can, especially to those that don't have the life benefits many of us do. For those that want to give back in appreciation for the work that I do in this podcast, please make a kind gesture and help Josh. You can either search Give, Send, Go for cybersecurity and select Fund an International Cybersecurity Student or click on the link in my episode notes. Now on with the show. Cybersecurity covers so many areas, as I've discussed over the years, primarily in Season 1. We could be talking about a SIM for information and event management, to identity and access management products, to firewalls, intrusion detection, intrusion prevention, new stuff like Secure Access Services Edge, also known as SASE. We have cloud coming out, and it's been expanding and exploding the last few years. We have endpoint protection software, vulnerability management software, and on and on and on. All these technologies not only have their own software solutions, there are many solutions for these certain areas. Some of them may be specific and have a certain purpose. We look at McAfee, ViruScan, Semantic Antivirus, Microsoft Defender. Those are three distinct products that are each massive in scale on their own that have a similar purpose to protect endpoints, but there is a whole lot of difference to them, both in their front end and their back end. Before I get into the technical specifics, I want to talk about other parts of the software product that folks may not even think about. Most people, especially in cyber, we're technical, hands-on keyboard. We have a product in front of us, and we just go ahead and learn about it from our individual view. Think of it as an elephant. You have people that are working on the legs. Somebody's working on the tusks. Somebody's working on the tail. Somebody's working on the hide. Well, it's important a lot of times that you understand the whole elephant. You don't need to know the details of it. You don't need to know how much skin is on it or how long are the tusks or how dense are they or how long is the tail. But you need to know there's a tail. You need to know that there's a tusk. And the part of that that a lot of people forget about is the sales facet. What is the company looking for? What are the use cases? What is the purpose of the purchase? Who's driving the purchase? Is this coming from the business? Is it coming from an application owner? Is it coming from the technology team? What's your role in the purchase? What's the role of your team in the purchase? 
How many vendors are involved? How did you decide to look at those vendors? I was meeting with a customer the other day and they told me that they were looking at our product and one other company's product. And I was curious, I did not ask, but I was very curious as to why they chose these two. I know that there were four that they could select from. What's the procurement process? How do you buy it once you decide you want to get it? Who makes the decision? Is it one person or is it a whole group of people and you have a consensus purchase? What's the budgeting look like? What's the timing look like? All of this is just a simple part of the sales facet where you're looking to buy the product. Once you buy the product, you have to deploy it. What does that deployment look like? What's the architecture? And I'll get into that in a bit. How does that architecture impact deployment? Is this regional, national, international? What's your role in the deployment? Do you have anything to do with it? How does deployment impact operations, the people that are working on the tool day to day? How does deployment affect support, the people that have to fix it? Support deals with break, fix, and putting the product back to the way that it was. Operations are the people that are using it on a daily basis. What's the relationship between the sales team, the deployment team, and later the support team? Is there a move to production process, something also known as a transfer to delivery? What does that look like? As a part of that, what does documentation look like? Who's responsible for the documentation of the product from purchase, why did we buy this, to deployment? Where does this go and why to support? How is this supposed to work and how do we get it back into the state that it's supposed to be in? Why isn't it in that state? What changed it? Where's the literature that will help those quote unquote downstream? There's a saying out there that says, don't let implementation be confused during the sale. There's something to be said for that, but in the same respect, when you sell something and when you buy something, you need to think about how the other people are going to be handling it. How are they going to deploy it? How are they going to support it? How are they going to use it? Is this something that's being deployed going to be operational or does it just turn into what we call a shelfware where you buy it, you try to deploy it, it fails, and it just sits on the shelf? Back to documentation. Keep in mind, this is another field or a profession where cybersecurity lacks talent. For those that enjoy writing and are not that technical or don't know a lot about cybersecurity, this is like project management. Think about it as an area to get started. You go in with your English degree or your other arts and sciences degree and you're nervous about the technology, go in and be an author. Go ahead and document. Write out what the tool involves, why was it purchased, what does the architecture look like? Help the deployment team know why the product was purchased and help the support team know why the deployment team deployed it the way that it was. And you're going to document that and you're going to put it in certain tools. And it's very possible as a documentation expert that you're going to be dealing with other software programs where you can create reference architecture diagrams or where you can create HTML code and have it so that the document is online in a knowledge base wiki, if you will. Are the documents laid out in a GUI format, a graphical user interface? And potentially other programming languages that a documentation person may be working in, such as really detailed complex macros in Microsoft Word or in Adobe and products like that. Keep an open mind and investigate job openings as more than likely there's going to be something in your area that you never even thought of. We're talking about documentation because we bought something and deployed it. Well, now we have to support it. And the documentation ties all that together. When we're dealing with the application, support is a massive consideration and there are hundreds of thousands if not millions of jobs out there that are de dedicated to information technology and cybersecurity support. This is a major consideration. When you buy and install a product, those are the easiest parts in my opinion. Supporting it brings the greatest challenges. Like the sales team, the customer support team deals with customers more than any other group. It's very important for a support analyst or engineer or agent, whatever they go by, have very good customer service skills because they need to relay the information 
to the customer as to what's going on. The support people need to get the product back into an operational state and there can be a lot of stress involved because you have critical need and it could impact business and they need to get it turned around right away. So remember, the support teams are those that deal with the customer more than any other group and that needs to be taken into consideration if it's a job that you're looking to get or already involved with. Customers judge the vendor on the support of the team. And you're dealing with the complexity of an application, and I'm really going to get into that here shortly, but you have to realize that as a support agent, you need to do a lot more than just know the product. I have spent a lot of hours in my career helping support and cleaning up after them. Due to the complex nature of software, it's extremely difficult to have all the answers in a timely manner, and that can upset customers and end users. Remember, the customer, in my likelihood, is an internal person. If you're on the help desk and somebody's having an issue with their antivirus application or with Microsoft Word, they need your help. They need to do their job. And it's important for the customer support person to help that end user get back to a state of normalcy. When working on support on the immense software packages, there are often areas within support. It's not just, hey, I do break fix. Now, you may be working with the GUI, the graphical user interface. You may work on the infrastructure and just be responsible for the computers that are running it. You may be on the networking team. You may be dealing with the cloud aspect. Maybe you're a Linux or Unix administrator and you need to be there to help schedule cron jobs so backups kick off. Or maybe the backups aren't working and as an administrator at the Linux and Unix level, you're working with the application owner to figure out why the backups aren't working. If you're in support and or looking to get into support, think about a focus. Again, administration, OS, or the hardware. Eventually in your career, especially the longer you stay in support, you'll see more and more pieces. For now, though, if you're just starting out, pick an area, love it, and if you don't love it, then move on to the next. And if you do, maybe you just get deeper. A lot of this has to do with breadth and depth. How wide is your knowledge and how deep is it? I'm pretty deep with networks and with operating systems. I'm less deep with programming, with programming languages and with APIs and things of that nature. And it's important to know your strengths and weaknesses. And when you're working with the application, do so accordingly. Another piece to think about when you're dealing with support is open source technology and third-party relationships because a lot of times there's tie-ins with a software product. Java plays a role. One of the products that I've dealt with, we are concerned about Java vulnerabilities because we use Java. And if there are vulnerabilities in Java, there's vulnerabilities in our application. And support analysts need to understand that. You have the Elk stack. You have many flavors of Linux and Unix. There are databases like MongoDB, Oracle, and so many more. I could just go on and on. This could be a whole talk about additions and third parties. It's just important to realize that when we're talking about these applications, it's not quite so simple as I bought it, I deployed it, now I support it. So many pieces go into it. Some of the most significant areas of cybersecurity applications involve the components which make them up. I've been talking more from a group level and a business level. I want to get a little bit more detailed into the components that make up the applications. Each of these areas include different jobs and professions in and of themselves. They're developers, database engineers, administrators, architects, network engineers, system administrators for the hardware and the operating systems, and others that I'm not even going to get into detail on. The important data to consider is that working with advanced software involves a lot of professions and groups. It's very diverse. A lot of times, primarily when problems arise, Quite a few of these staff members have to get involved together for troubleshooting sessions. So teamwork is important as well as critical thinking. 
at times when customers want enhancements, some of these teams may get involved. So I've been talking a lot about break fix, but let's think about a situation where a customer wants something added to a product because you, as the break fix person, said, hey, this isn't broken, it's operating as designed. And then they come back and say, well, an example, we have an endpoint detection platform. A customer wants a feature in that product. Think of Microsoft Defender, if you will. They want a feature that allows them to connect all the finance systems in their company for dedicated scans with an option to capture memory from the workstations for further analysis. I don't believe that exists today in MS Defender. I'm just using that as an example off the top of my head and thinking about dumping memory from all the finance machines upon a scan so I can go in and do more analysis and I have additional information for forensic detail. To develop this capability, we may need to talk to the GUI team. Where do you put the icons to make this happen? Maybe it's the back-end team, the folks that are dealing with the Java Interconnect or Elk. OS administrators for access. How would the endpoint product gain access to these systems? Network engineers. Is there bandwidth to transfer all the information if we're dumping the memory from a thousand different finance machines? All these people need to get involved to help identify how to add this enhancement. Again, I'm not even talking about break fix here. This is simply an enhancement. And you have all these different professions and jobs. And they're tied together by product managers that are really responsible for the roadmap of the features. The applications that I'm talking about, they are environments in and of themselves. It's not as simple as needing to know what screen to perform a task on. Oh, I want to bold, I highlight it, I hit control B, or I just click the B and start typing. That's very basic. That's a myopic view. These products have massive amounts of components and they're very detailed. A specific one is the GUI, the graphical user interface. This is also known as the front end. This is what we see. Again, I'll use Word as the example. You move the mouse around and you can click on things. You go to the main screen and you start typing. Great, I've learned how to get around and how to do the basics. But there's a lot in the back end. There's a database that's involved in Microsoft Word. You can even make that a database in and of itself where you can plug it in. You can use APIs to connect to other databases. You may have an application server. There may be other systems that make up the back end of the application. This is where the programmers Support analysts and system administrators may spend a lot of time. You have the command line interface, the CLI. It's a text-based environment that usually includes a menu and exit capability to reach the OS command line. This is an area for deployment engineers, support analysts, and sales engineers. Command line interface a lot of times is used for setup or for grabbing files so you can see about special configurations. It also can be an area where you're going to go in and get the XML files to show format of certain configurations. There's a lot of customization that happens at the command line interface and or through launching into the operating system. Another component, the API, the application programmable interface that allows connection and interaction with all kinds of third-party systems. API capability really allows products to have mass capability, if you will, to reach out to others and use them. A very good example would be an integration between your customer relationship management or ticketing system, something like ServiceNow, and then tie that into an intrusion detection system so there's automated alerts. And you may want to configure your intrusion detection with an API connection back into ServiceNow to open up a ticket automatically. There's other tools that will do this, like a SIM that we've discussed before, and you can do that here, or you can have the API do it. There's a lot of ways to solve the same problem. Another component that's just a beast in and of itself is infrastructure. This includes the hardware and networking devices that the application resides on and uses to communicate. Infrastructure alone involves numerous professions, even more today because of the transition to cloud. We have the computers, switches, routers, 
containers, VPCs, the operating system, virtual machines, the physical hardware, and even more. All of these components need to have cybersecurity professionals that are, again, administrators of the operating system, of the hardware, who's building it, configuring it, monitoring it, managing it, maintaining it. Infrastructure is massive. It's where I spent a bulk of my career. It's where I find it very interesting. For any of my listeners that want more detail on that, certainly reach out, cybergraybeard at gmail.com, and I can tell you some stories about infrastructure from my past as well. The last one I'm going to talk about are ancillary components, such as the tools needed to manage all the pieces mentioned above. Software bugs and diagnostic software to find the location of the bug and then how to rectify it. You need to have Notepad++ at the basics, so you can go ahead and modify XML files or text files. You want to have PuTTY, so you can have an SSH connection out to something. There's hundreds of products. Uh, SOAP UI is one for dealing with APIs. Another one is Postman. These are all components in and of themselves, again, that you're going to want to understand in detail as you get to that piece. If, again, you want to work on API side of the house and do break-fix on API, Postman and SOAP UI are certainly going to be tools you're going to want. Just realize for everybody listening that these ancillary components play a critical role in monitoring, managing, and maintaining the bulk of these applications. Fundamentally, I want folks to understand there's a lot of pieces and parts to cybersecurity applications. Knowing this will help professionals realize that there's any number of directions that your career can go. As I've said many times, cybersecurity as a career does not require a technical background. A lot of this episode consisted of technical pieces, but remember, if you don't want to get deep into one of these areas, consider what I said earlier about the project management or the documentation, sales. All of these are careers in and of themselves that fall under cybersecurity. I can't tell you how many times I've met with sales folks that don't know anything about technology, and lo and behold, six to 12 months later, they know as much as me in certain areas of the product. They know what they know at the beginning, and then they grow, and they grow, and then they advance. And that's really the purpose of this podcast, is I want you to understand that even though you don't know all of it today, you're never going to know all of it, but tomorrow, and in a month, and in six months, you're going to be further along. If you're overwhelmed by all these pieces and parts, you don't need to worry about everything at once. Stay in a lane, master that lane, then consider an additional lane or a different tool where you get to start all over, and it's exciting. It's what I talked about at the beginning of the season. Sometimes starting a new technology is like starting a new job, and you've got to be very excited about it. If you want to get just skin deep in an area and then move to another, it's totally fine as well. A lot of times people that are help desk, they get to play around with a lot of areas. That's why I say it's a great place to start. You get to learn about the computers. You get to learn about the operating system, the network, the administrative capabilities with identity and access management. You do that for a little while, and then you start to see, gee, I really like when the phone call comes in and asks you about this. Well, then maybe you transfer over to that team, or you go get another job somewhere else and go start there. Find what you enjoy and find a way to make money at it. I started in the help desk and then I moved to network engineering, then to system management, then to sales engineering, and then to consulting, and now back to sales engineering. All of this is in the 25-year period. I've had five distinct jobs. Find your path, find your desire, and then move and continue your journey and know that cybersecurity has a lot to offer and challenge yourself and ask yourself, where will this challenge take you? Thanks a lot for listening. Again, reach out, cybergraybeard at gmail.com, and I'll talk to you again soon.